will always, always remember. And um, one of the interesting things about what my dad shared is sometimes it takes tragedy for people like our institutions, like school, um, to reach out to the Lord. You know, Gandhi's last words before he died, he was assassinated, he got shot, was, oh God. And um, let's pray it doesn't take another tragedy like 9-11 to, to turn the heart of our nation back to God, because that's what we need. Um, but maybe, maybe we can accomplish that in some other way. It has been said that everyone loves a redemption story. You know, a book or a movie in which the main character takes us through their odyssey of first messing up, then making things right, and finally riding off into the sunset to live happily ever after. And I must confess I'm a fan of those kinds of stories. For any of us that love redemption stories, it's likely due to the fact that we see a similar plot in our own lives. We identify with the character that messed up because we mess up. We also want to find a way to make things right and live happily ever after. Well, God wrote the original redemption story. And he created us with the ability to relate to such a scenario because he loves us. And it is just one of the many ways in which God mercifully pursues us and gives us opportunities to find him and receive his son Jesus as our savior. Put simply, the redemption story is the most important story in human history. It is imperative that we understand it from God's perspective and take biblically instructed action accordingly. The message today is titled Redeemed. During our time together, we'll define redemption and take an attempt to answer a series of questions armed with scripture. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a chance to be together as your family. Thank you for your great love for us. And um, I've already heard it said, Lord, I pray today that we would leave this place um, really changed because of your word that we wouldn't just do church today and walk out the doors the same, that we would realize we're entering the mission field, that you've got a mission for us. And um, Lord, just allow your Holy Spirit to, um, to deal with us today and however it is you want to deal with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think about the definition of redeem, the dictionary says to buy or pay off, to clear by payment, to buy back to recover by payment or other satisfaction, to discharge or fulfill, to make up for, to make amends for, to offset, to obtain the release or restoration of as from captivity by paying a ransom. And then a theological definition they add is to deliver from sin and its consequences by means of a sacrifice offered for the sinner. So whether it's the first six secular bullets in the definition or the seventh bullet, which is a theological definition, it's clear that there is a transaction taking place in the act of redemption. The transaction is to settle a debt that was previously incurred. Inherent in the definition is the fact that the, def the, the debt was already accrued. We're not talking about a future debt that isn't present now and may be avoided in the future. The cost is currently on the books it cannot be sidestepped. It is present now and has been for some time. Let's dig into our first question. Because now that we've defined redemption, 
we need to ask ourselves, redeemed from what? If I'm indebted to God, if I need his redemption, what is this debt that I need to be redeemed from? Well, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says we are redeemed from the curse of the law. The curse of the law. The law, as we know, it's the sum of all the commandments and principles that God put in place to show us how to live righteously. And most of God's civil, ceremonial, and moral laws were given to us in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The curse is that no one can keep 100% of the law perfectly. And when we break the law, there are consequences. And when I break one of the laws, I break them all. John 7, 19, Jesus is speaking. And he says, did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go ye about to kill me? That wasn't just something from Jesus' time. That truth is still true today. We all are breaking and have broken God's law. The law was a contract between God and humanity. When humanity broke the contract by sinning, as everyone that has ever lived has done except Jesus, the penalty was a physical and spiritual death sentence. We, each of us, we went into spiritual debt when we sinned. And Romans talks about this in Romans 3.23. It says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one is exempt. And then in Romans 6.23, the first part of the verse says, the wages for our sin, it is death. This spiritual death, it's not limited to our souls. The unbeliever is a slave to thinking and acting like the world, obeying Satan and his minions, being a hostage to lust and anger. Those who are unredeemed are without God and have no hope. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 and verse 12 says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This concept of sin, it can't be ignored and for those that say it doesn't exist, I don't know what planet they're living on. I mean, just look at the news every single day. Now, people want to describe problems that we have, but they describe those problems using words that are the symptoms of sin. They don't talk about the root cause. They don't use the word sin, and they don't say all these negative things that are going on in our world. They don't diagnose what the real problem is, which is sin. For non-Christians who have refused God's offer of redemption, death is poisonously painful. The grave holds the final victory over them. And hell is their forwarding address. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, Jesus says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? He conquered it, so death didn't have sting and grave didn't have victory over him. But for the non-believer, death 
is painful and the grave is final. And then in Matthew 25, 41, it says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. When I'm on the street corner preaching, I try to share with people that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And because God's given us free will, we are the ones that actually send us to our final destination. Yes, God made hell, but he created it for the devil and his angels. If we choose to receive Christ, we choose to go to heaven. If we choose to reject Christ, a person chooses to go to hell. And we can't claim that God is so unfair that he's the one who's done that. We, in fact, have done that ourselves. Just to recap our first question, redeemed from what? If we choose God's redemption, we are redeemed from the curse of the law, a spiritual death sentence of sin. We are redeemed from acting as the unsaved world does, from obeying Satan, from being a hostage to anger and lust, from death, the grave, and hell. What could be more important than the message of God's redemption? Why isn't it trending on social media? Why are so few or none of our institutions talking about it? It's the greatest message the world's ever heard, and we ignore it. And not only do we ignore it, but we celebrate the things that God says we need to be redeemed from. It's not just that we don't want to have anything to do with God anymore as a world and as a nation. We actively shake our fist at him and call the things that he says is sin. We call them right. We call them good. We, we call them choice, equality, freedom. And a nation that stands at, in, in front of God and shakes their fist at him and takes that approach, I don't think it's going to bode well for them. And so we here need to be salt and light, and we here need to be um, a place where the truth is, is shared, in love, in love, but unflinchingly and consistently. Let's look at our second question. If I need to be redeemed who do I need to be redeemed from? Redeemed from who? Well, Galatians 3.13 also answers this question. We are redeemed by Jesus Christ himself. By Jesus Christ himself. The debt we go into when we sin cannot be paid for in dollars or euros or any other currency that people trade in across the globe. It's a debt that can only be paid for in blood. In blood, Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. And we need to remind ourselves that not all blood is the same. Not all blood is the same. Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. We know that in the Old Testament, the blood of goats and bulls covered sin for a time, but it didn't take them away. There wasn't true redemption. There wasn't remission of those sins. Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, Jesus speaking, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. See, it took Jesus coming with his perfect blood, his innocent blood, to redeem us. Matthew 27, verses 3 and 4, Even someone who turned on him, Judas, recognized something. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Singular, 
the innocent blood. It can only be said about the person of Jesus Christ. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. They didn't even refute it. Yeah, we know. Who cares? We don't. We're going to keep doing what we were doing. If you've got a problem with that, take care of it for yourself. Prior to Jesus' shed blood at Calvary, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin completely. As I said, they only covered personal sin for a time. And that is why offerings had to be made repeatedly before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We cannot pay for our sins with our blood because it is tainted and corrupted by sin. You hear people talk a lot about, I'm a good person. I'm, that's why I'm going to go to heaven. We have to be clear with people. No, you're not. And no, I'm not. If you think you are, you're delusional. More people need to be told in our world today, you're delusional. I don't support you. I, I love you. I care about you. You get to make your own decisions. God gave us free will and choice. But you are delusional. And that thing you're thinking right now, it's not right. And it's not good for you. God has a better plan for your life. And we cannot save ourselves. But Jesus' blood is innocent, perfect, holy, and it's able to remit or take away sin permanently. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Let's share that verse with the person that says humanity is ascending, getting more enlightened, getting closer to becoming gods ourselves. No, Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because I can't pay for my own sin. I'm the one that got myself into this mess, and I cannot get myself out of it. Romans 10, 3-12 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Wow. A little bit contrary to the way snowflakes and others need to be patted on the back today and coddled and given a little space. And no, Jesus comes right into that space. The Lord comes right into that space with truth and says, yeah, the gospel's a stumbling block and this is going to hurt, but I'm giving you the truth so you can make your decisions eyes wide open, not because someone has aided and abetted in your delusions and come alongside you to say that what you think that's right, which is really wrong, keep going because it's right. God says, no, I have the truth for you. And the only reason I'm interested in wounding you is if it brings you to myself so that you can be redeemed. Jesus left heaven for us, became a human for us, was tempted for us, was crucified for us, and chose to be made a curse a curse for us. He was made a curse for us when he hung on that tree at Calvary. He was made a curse for us by taking on all the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He was made a curse for us when his father turned his back on him as a result. He was made a curse for us by paying for our sin in hell for three days. Only Jesus could accomplish this. What a Savior! What a Savior! I want you to find for me the Buddhist compilation of music to their savior. I want you to find for me the Muslim compilation to their Islamic savior. Guess what? The Christian faith 
is replete with the music that we heard today and we'll still hear in a little while because we have a risen Savior who is worth singing about. He did what nobody else ever did do, what nobody else ever could do, what nobody else ever will be able to do. And part of our heritage is we have been moved as a people when we see the redemptive act of Calvary and Christ for it to transform our lives into something that produces song, to, to, to adore the Lord, to praise and worship Him, to lift Him up, to tell people through the spoken word and song that He is worthy. He is worthy. Just to recap on this second question, if we choose God's redemption, we are redeemed by Jesus Christ and no one else. We are redeemed through His shed blood, which was the innocent blood. We cannot save ourselves. Christ is the one and only Redeemer, it's one of his names. It's one of his titles. What a beautiful title, Redeemer. Our third question, you say, hey, if I get redeemed, how long will that redemption last? Because you know, my car only lasts a certain amount of time. The roof of my house only lasts a certain amount of time, unless you're my parents. Everything at their house lasts. They've had stuff worked on lately. The people come and they replace the roof. They say, this roof is 40 years old. It should have lasted you know, much less time. Things at their house last way longer than they should. It's a mystery to me. Yeah, it's great. But things break down. So is it possible this redemption could end? John 10, 27 to 29 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them, underline it, eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Jesus offers eternal redemption. No one, including ourselves, including you, when it comes to your personal faith in Jesus, and no thing can take God's redemption from us after we have it. And that's true not because of me and you. The focus is not on me and you in that concept. It's because of the greatness of God. It's because of the power of his blood. It's because of what he did to redeem us once and for all. John 19, 28 to 30 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and they put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, underline it, it is finished. And he bowed his head And he gave up the ghost. When Jesus shed his blood at Calvary, died, was buried, and rose again after three days, the work of redemption was completed. There is nothing that could add to or take away from it. Praise God for that. And then in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39, it says, For I am persuaded that neither, get ready for the list, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't mean, once we're redeemed, that we'll never have any more problems. Amen, somebody. Does your life have a couple problems in it like mine does? The person that's preaching that when we come to Christ, it's all health, wealth, and prosperity, I want to talk to that person. That's hypocrisy, that's, that's heresy, that's wrong. 
That's setting people up to get disappointed in God. The Lord never said we would be exempted from problems. But he said, my redeemed, I will never leave them or forsake them. We have a resource to go through those problems with now that we never had before. And it's the greatest helpline. It's the greatest call number we could ever have. It's God himself. It's God himself. So once we're redeemed, it doesn't mean we don't have problems. It means our troubles won't impact our redemption and that God will go through us with all of our troubles. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Finally, about how long will redemption last? The things that we read, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. He does not lie. Our experience with other people in our lives who may sometimes be dishonest with us is no reflection on the character of God. We can put our full confidence in these things he has promised. That's why our final authority at this church and should be the final authority in God's church is his word. It doesn't change. It doesn't go in and out of style like fashion it doesn't pay attention to what's happening in the world around us. The truth is the truth regardless. And so you and I, friend, can be confident in the unchanging, honest words of God himself. Just to recap, if we choose God's redemption, how long are we redeemed for? Forever. It's finished, Jesus said. Despite the troubles we go through, God is honest and trustworthy. Our final question, well, I'm redeemed. Now what? What's in it for me? So what? What do I do with this thing? Well, Psalm 107.2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Can I get a letting of the redeemed say so? Say so? Yeah, amen? I don't know. It was awkward. That was a weird request. I don't know. I guess you were supposed to say so or something. Say so. But, um, you know, will God's redemptive work in our lives lead us to tell others what he did for us? It should be a natural outpouring. It should be a natural thing for us that as redeemed children of the Lord, it's something that excites us, is important to us, always stays top of mind, never drops down in our list of priorities and list of things that are closest to our heart. But life has a way of grinding things like that away, eroding the importance of them. The Lord talks about this concept of someone when they first come to Christ having their first love be him and then other things crowd him out and he gets pushed down the list of our priorities. It's unfortunately part of the human condition. But when we remind ourselves of the redemption story, it's an encouragement to put the Lord and redemption and what he's done for us back at the top. Psalm 105 verses 1 through 5 say, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works, glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face forevermore, remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Do you ever get strange looks from people 
because you think you're alone and maybe you're talking about the goodness of God. Maybe you're praying in your car. These days that's easier because maybe they think you got Bluetooth in and you're just talking on your phone. In fact, you, you could do that. You could kind of have your phone there and it's not really on. You could just be talking to the Lord to fake it. But we want people to know. Yeah, the Lord's alive. I, I can't see him, but I believe he's here listening to me. And um, if you think that's strange, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking to the Lord. Will God's redemptive work in our lives lead us to singing, rejoicing, seeking his face, and agreeing that his works in our lives are marvelous? Mark chapter 17, verse 74 says that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Will God's redemptive work in our lives lead to service to him that is free from all fear? How many things have you maybe felt the nudging of the Lord in your life about that fear has stopped you and I dead in our tracks, caused us to question, caused us to go back on a commitment we've made to the Lord, make us say, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. And when we know that the greatest challenge in our life, the greatest problem in our life has been confronted and overcome by the Lord himself, sin, we've been redeemed, fear can fall away. You know, I, I, I've seen movies, and I think I read something recently. The earth sometimes thinks a meteor is going to come, right? It's getting too close to the earth, and you've seen these movies, Armageddon and stuff. they got to send something up to destroy the meteor. Otherwise, it's going to hit earth, and it's going to be an Ellie, an extinction-level event. Nobody on earth is going to survive because the asteroid's going to destroy it, you know? And uh, it's really a big deal because you don't want the earth to be destroyed. But uh, sin is an extinction-level event, Sin is the only extinction-level event that without the intervention of God himself, none of us would have survived. But we did because of him, and sure, we're still going to be afraid, but we can be less afraid. And God wants to take that fear from us because of what he did at Calvary. Just to recap, if we choose God's redemption, now what? We'll tell others. Tell others of what Jesus did for you. Our lives should change. Something should be different. Have you thought about that? Have you taken personal stock and inventory? And it's now possible to serve without fear. I want to read you a few lyrics to a song that I love. I couldn't find the person who wrote it. It's called He Paid a Debt. And this is how he talks about and describes redemption. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Now I sing a brand new song, amazing grace all day long. Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. He paid a debt at Calvary. He cleansed my soul and set me free. I'm glad that Jesus did all my sins erase. I now can sing a brand new song, amazing grace all day long. Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. One day he's coming back for me to live with him eternally, won't it be glory to see him on that day? Then I will sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. In closing, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't want to assume that everyone here is redeemed this morning. I can't make that assumption. I hope that we've established a few things together this morning. First, that sin has put us in debt and created a need for us to be purchased back by God. You and I are in need of redemption. Second, 
that there is only one Redeemer in the universe, and his name is Jesus Christ. Third, that Jesus Christ completed our redemption at the cross of Calvary. It's there. Redemption is available. But that doesn't mean that you're redeemed. God has done all he can because he will not force you to accept him or his son. He has given us free will, and now the choice is yours. The question I'm asking is, have you received redemption? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not? What's it going to take? If you haven't received Jesus yet as your Savior and you want to this morning, please pray a prayer with me that goes something like this. Father, I agree with you that I have sinned. I confess my sin and repent from it. I put my faith in your Son, Jesus, to save me from my sin and to cleanse me from my unrighteousness. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.